0: There we are. Is that better?
1: Indeed. So I I have a quick question for you. That's not not necessarily for the uh, podcast, but uh, you you referenced in one of your videos your crazy accent. You sound Irish to me. What what are you?
0: I sound Irish. That's so fantastic. I'm totally taking that. What is it? I get I get South African a ton, and I get Australian a lot. Which I kind of aspire to be Australian. If you really want my personal opinion, it's. a combination of british and texan
1: well that's irish
0: (laughs) no 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 it's not and i would because yeah i just want to remind you it's a patrick's day coming up pretty soon and that they'd be pissed
1: welcome to
2: transpose a podcast in every episode industry visionaries bring their unique talents and insights into the transformation zone and transpose the ethos of an iconic brand, product, or experience into another market. Thought leaders, innovators, and creatives travel far into the future, unleashing disruption and a little humor along the way.
1: Welcome to Transpose. I'm Justin Dobb, and with me, as always, is my co-host and fellow technologist, innovator, and future caster, Anju Ahuja. And with our very special guest, we talk about potentialism and what it means to articulate your future you. Stay tuned.
2: It is my pleasure to introduce you to Joanna Blore, my friend and collaborator. Those of you that know Joanna know that she is wildly multifaceted. So creating any kind of a short list for her is a bit of a challenge, but we're doing the less is more thing. We're sticking to it. So here we go, Joanna. We're going to give you your symbols and save the sentence structure for later. Here's your list. Metamorphic, truth teller, box breaker, levitator, kinetic, potentialist, and perhaps one of my favorite and a critical part of your personal brand, magic. So, Joanna, maybe we should start by talking about just this whole potentialist concept.
0: Okay, so... I want us to focus for just a second on people, because I think when you talk about potential, they are the most bountiful source of it. Human imagination is kind of a magical thing in itself. Um, And when you think about that and you think about people, you have to consider the story that other people are hearing because every decision made about you and your future opportunities is made in a room that you're not in. And the thing that they are choosing is the future you it is your potential and yet when we talk about human beings especially in the workplace we talk about their skills we talk about their past we talk about their grades we talk about their resume we talk about all sorts of really boring things which really don't tell any story about somebody's potential in the future and i just sit here and i go why not especially when And my guess is this is true for both of you. When you think about what any hiring manager wants and what any employee wants is they want them to be doing their best work. And my belief is that we are doing our best work when two things coexist. One, you are doing work that really matters, makes you feel like you're like, oh, look at what I built. Very personal version of it, but your thing, like, My contribution matters here. So there's confidence built in that. And you are excited and curious about what it is you're going to do. When those two things coexist, you have the confidence to take risks, to see the potential in others, to see the potential in what you're doing. And you get to learn and grow and all of those good sorts of things. We all imagine potential in almost little rooms in our heads by ourselves and don't share any of this when it comes to maximizing teams. We might say, you know, I want to, I'm empowering you to maximize your potential. What a load of hooey. And I think that whole conversation needs to come out of the little box in the room in our head and out onto the main stage and actually be the first conversation as opposed to the one that is hidden.
2: So let's talk about that. The target of the growth mindset, the way that you just sort of described it, you know, it sort of implies that people are continuously, hopefully, evolving and that there's some future you sitting out there. Why do people struggle so much with transforming themselves into their future selves?
0: Oh, for a number of reasons. And it starts with this word ambition. I don't think people really, well, either they have a very skewed idea of what ambition should be, and it is either defined by this just up and to the right, win at all costs, slightly competitive, all of that sort of thing, which is very prevalent. If somebody's ambition is that, then I think that's not a surprise in the world we live in today. However, I don't think that's the ambition that everybody has. Um, Not everybody wants to be Elon Musk at the end of the day. Not everybody wants to be Steve Jobs. They might want to be their version of it. And so how to figure out what their ambition is, is really tough. Ambition is colored by what your peers and your network tell you what it should be, which is why I think we have a bit of a narrative right now about you know unless you're thirty and you flipped a company for a billion dollars, then you're a big fat failure.
1: Oh no! Yeah. I know.
2: Sorry for all of us. Yeah, I better revisit my life. We've all
0: failed. We've all failed here. Well, but it is like, especially uh, in the world that we live in, this is a bit of a it is a bit of the narrative. Like if you are you want the biggest and you're the best and. Now now you have to be a unicorn. Are you kidding me? Like, I'm sorry, no. So let's have a conversation about ambition. For most people, I don't think we have much of a conversation about who that is and kind of the who do you wanna be when you grow up on your own terms at all as adults. Uh, I think we have it a lot as little kids. It's actually one of the most common conversations with, you know, your average eight-year-old. who are like, what do you want to be? And then again, when you're you're heading into college, and then we seem to stop having that conversation. And then people almost feel embarrassed to have a conversation about their ambition because they think, well, you know, have I missed the boat because of the I need to be 30 and flip a company for a billion dollars. So starting with the, like, what do you want to be when you grow up conversation, I think is the first one there, which is really hard for people. I know when I have this conversation with people, it very frequently, man, woman, super successful person, not so successful person ends up in a bit of a, a weepy session. It's, they get pretty vulnerable with me, which is kind of why I love this, because it's, it really comes down to the truth of who the person is and what it is they want. Like Everybody goes on about, oh, you need to be authentic. And I sit here and I go, actually being honest with yourself about your ambition is the first step to authenticity. Then you sit here and say, okay, so now you know what your ambition is. And ambition is a space in the future that you don't know and can't actually sh- see. It is the potential, it is the future you, it is potential. And there's another thing that people share with you when you're first starting out in your career and first thinking about this whole idea of what can I be when I grow up? And there's that lovely phrase, you can't be it if you can't see it. And what's tricky about potential is A, and this has also been a universal finding in the work that I do, someone's potential, the thing that they are just weirdly uniquely good at doing is so invisible to them because it's almost like breathing to them. The same way we don't think about breathing, we don't think about the thing that we're really good at doing. And because of that, they dismiss its value almost immediately. And the thing that they want to be that is so elusive that they can't touch, they haven't seen before, so couldn't describe it to anybody else. And so this intersection of what are you really fantastic at doing? Your ambition and the, what is the thing out there that you can't even put words around? Um, And people get incredibly stuck.
1: You brought up this, what do you want to be when you grow up? I guess my first question is, do I have to grow up? No, (laughs) no, no. It's better for
2: your creativity if you don't.
0: Yeah, that's actually a great question. And I I share this only because I literally had this conversation yesterday. Uh, I also think, There's this spectacularly crazy narrative that you are, it's almost uh, that crazy narrative of that you will find your life partner forever somewhere in your 20s and 30s. Like what a load, right? It's it's ridiculous that we believe that we are going to be one thing. And I actually shared with the person I was talking to the other day, like if you had come to me 10 years ago and said to me, are you working with people who are challenging you? Are you doing work that you feel matters? Are you excited and curious about what you are doing and where this, where you are going? Do you feel empowered? Like all of the words, all of the words. Um, and and do you feel like you are crushing it professionally? I would have said yes, unequivocally. However, 10 years later, if I was still doing what I was doing back then, 10 years ago, I'd be pissed at myself. <laughs> Because no, I was, I mean, and I went through a pretty giant transformation and said, look, the, the path I was on in the industry I was in and the direction I was taking, I was all like, you know what, Uh, I'm bored. And because I was bored, I was like, it's time to change. And I, you know, when I think about why most people come to me, it's either because they're bored and stuck or they're scared. And don't know how to move forward. And it's one of those two. And I sit here and I go, how do you move out of bored or scared into intrigued and empowered? And then it all starts to work. And then I start to listen to myself and I go, oh my God, you've got all of the revolting hashtags that make me get a bit skeevy, empowered and intrigued. Good list. Listen to me. It's terrible.
2: So I'm just curious if I just surveyed both of you, what percentage of the people that you hang out with electively would you say are truly truly curious people? Hmm. Not curious as in quirky, obviously. Curious as in, (laughs) you know, passionately interested in a variety of things that they don't yet know or understand.
1: Um, 30%?
2: Joe, what do you think?
1: Uh, It's probably
2: around that. And not
0: because I don't think people are truly curious. Again, it comes back to that whole ambition thing too. Angie, when you stalked me at the WICT conference, I was all like, oh, I am going to totally know this lady too because I recognized your insatiable curiosity almost immediately. And it's almost like my friend Dar. It is the thing that I go, "Ooh." this person thinks differently. It's the first thing I look for when I'm meeting new people. It's when I make a decision about somebody in a room they're not in, aka my head, is there a confidence in how they carry themselves that is not self-centered? And it's a confidence that's actually driven by curiosity. And that is actually one of the, the key things I look for people who I think are super interesting. And when I actually flip the tables and start stalking them,
1: so, jo- so Joanna, when did you say out loud for the first time that you wanted to help other people say out loud what they wanted to be <laughs> or who they could be?
0: I—that's a fantastic question, and I would—I don't know. Um, and I say this because it took me a while to actually understand my own potential as well. And I'd love to share a story. So, when I first left my last in a proper job. I have a proper job now. I've been doing this for nearly seven years. Even I have a, a narrative about this, but I was talking about, with every anybody who stood still long enough, I was talking about this whole idea of every decision made about you and your opportunities is made in a room that you're not in. Then, And if that is true, it is, then you should do something about it. And I had been invited through all sorts of serendipity to speak at TED 2016 about a project I was working on that has nothing to do with what I'm doing now. And standing in line at the TED conference is probably one of the most entertaining and interesting things to do. You want to talk about people who are truly curious, I'd say close to like 98% standing in line at the TED conference. It's fantastic. And really people who blow your mind. And I was talking to an executive who was there, who was a Microsoft executive, and she was there because they were introducing the HoloLens technology. And she was there to to shepherd that whole process through. Yep. And I was talking to her about this idea. And I said, Well, I said, So if I was to ask somebody what you are known for, what would you say? And she looked at me and she said, I guess Microsoft girl. And I was like, Whoa, that is super boring. You should do something about that. <laughs> And I'm, you know, this is why Auntie calls me a truth teller. Is I I call out the obvious without kind of fear. She fortunately laughed just as you did, Justin. Um, otherwise my career would be in a very different place. And she called me six weeks later and said, you know, our conversation and then subsequent conversations really stuck with me among all of these other brilliant TED talks, which I thought was very flattering. And she goes, will you come up to Redmond and talk to my team about this idea? And I was like, of course, absolutely. Thinking, oh, I'm going to do this woman a favor and how fun to get to come up to uh to Washington and she said, Well we will you put me together a a proposal and I was like crap I don't have anything and I was like yeah totally can make that happen and she goes you've got a program right and I was like a hundred percent I do. I had nothing. I had (laughs) nothing Till you make it I had nothing. I had an idea um and I you know Historically, I'd run sales training at CBS for years and all sorts of things. So actually getting up and presenting in front of a room and doing stuff wasn't actually a huge threat. And I was like, well, you need to get your stuff together. And so I flew up to, to Redmond and I was having this conversation and having the room do some workshopping around this idea. And I was, you know, as when you're the facilitator, I was standing up front, just kind of letting them listen do that work for a second. And this woman up front, her name was Kathy, we are still connected today, was clearly struggling, was really struggling with the, all of this idea of how do you think about your unique value, which is what I was saying at the time. And I kind of gently walked up to her and I said, you clearly are struggling. Talk to me for just a second and tell me what you're thinking. And we started a little back and forth conversation, and the room went pin drop quiet because clearly everybody was listening. But I was with kind of Kathy one on one in this situation. And I couldn't not hear why she was amazing. Like the words poured into my head. And I looked at her and I was like, Well, Kathy, what are you talking about? This is why you're awesome. And I then loaded out what. Eventually, I ended up calling her value proposition statement, which is not a I am X, but was actually, if this is the problem and this is a solution, then I'm really good at solving that problem. And this is why you should hire me. She immediately burst into tears and said, oh, my God, no one's ever told me why I was uniquely valuable before. This was amazing. And I was like, well, it's so obvious. By this point, literally, people weren't even breathing in the room. And somebody goes, well, can you do it again? And I was like, I don't know. maybe. And so I ended up doing it probably half a dozen times in that room because I'd be just like, just talk to me for a second. And I'd be like, here's yours, here's yours. And even walking out of that training session, I didn't realize that my ability to chat with somebody, even sometimes really briefly, although when I do my real work, um, I mean, Anju's seen me do this at at more of an executive level. I spend hours, like one of my clients spent six hours with me talking constantly before we came back with the language because you don't really want to go too shallow if you're doing this on a professional thing. But I didn't even realize coming out of that session that this was where I had a gift and that my ability to see somebody else's value and actually articulate their potential was something I was really good at doing until I was having a beer with one of my former colleagues at Pandora. And I say former colleagues, technically he reported into me. This guy, Chris, was my my right hand person. And really, our team at Pandora went from like 30 to 400 people in three years. It was bananas experience and super fun. And he was the whole team was a big part of it. But he was kind of the we divided and conquered. So we were colleagues. And um, I was telling him this story. And he started to laugh at me. And I was like, why are you laughing at me? And he goes, do you know? No. And I was like, what are you talking about? And he goes, this is what you are known for. And I was like, what do you mean this is what I'm known for? And he goes, Joanna, he goes, you think you are known for building like and having a vision around how Pandora could scale their revenue operations? And I was like, yeah, because that was my job. And he goes, yeah, hilarious. He goes, yeah, you did that. He goes, but what you were known for was running around this ever-changing growing team and going, hey, Bob, I see that you are really good at X when you're in the room. And I see that you are on a client services path, uh, a sales path or whatever path, and you have the potential to actually be really great in this other area. So I've created a job for you over in I don't know, yield and pricing or something that I want you to go do, because I think A, I think you'll be really good at it. And B, I think it'll really fit who you are and where you're, where you're great. Don't worry about it. It's going to be fine. And he goes, literally, it was called the Joanna touch. And he goes, we, as a leadership team that worked with you would run behind you and go to the person that you'd just kind of blown their entire career path up and say, it's fine. She's usually right. If it doesn't work out, we'll have a backup plan, but give it a try. It'll be okay. And they basically clean up the tornado of me that had just come through. Um, But what it meant was I had so many people at Pandora come up to me and go, I had no idea I hated my job. I had no idea I would be this. And I didn't only... Repurpose people within my own organization, I gifted them out to the rest of the company. We almost became the farm team for the company. It meant that by, you know, year well, probably more like year two and a half, year three, we had former members of our organization in almost every other. Department in the company, which meant that understanding and empathy of the work that we needed to do collaboratively was unbelievably high. And the generosity was unbelievably high. And so Chris was laughing and he he was like, You've been doing this forever. You just didn't even know. And he goes, I find it hilarious that the thing that you actually teach is the thing that you didn't know for yourself. Now that I have spent, and that was what, four years ago ish. Now that I've spent four years continuing to obsess about this very simple idea of who could the future you be and how do you actually explore that with all of the fear, excitement, judgment, opportunity, all of the words, I now know that this actually was what I was supposed to do, which is why I'd be pissed at my old self if I was still doing what I was doing.
2: Well, supposed to do for now, because who knows what your future you is next year.
0: Yeah, because who knows? Well, I will tell you, I want to be Bette Midler when I grow up. I always have. And my win for 2020 was I saw that everybody on my Zoom calls were sad. So I started wearing sequins to all of my performances. And so, you know, I feel like I have started to manifest Bette Midler professionally. My goal for 2021
2: is to get backup dancers nice we'll see how I, that I
1: happens that's a hell of a goal that is yeah. a hell of a goal
2: all right so justin if you're willing i'd love you to experience some of what i've experienced witnessing joanna transform um, how people introduce themselves how they present themselves how they talk about themselves and their future selves um, i first experienced it at the WICT conference a few years ago and I've had the pleasure of working with Joanna in a variety of capacities where I've seen her just sort of spread this charm on others. So are you game to try a Joanna transformation? Oh, great. great. Anju, I will do this,
0: but only when people are prepared. Or not prepared, but only if they want to do it. So I will never force the experience on somebody. Yeah,
1: mm, uh, you know, I'll give it a shot. So
0: we'll do this and you can absolutely edit it out. But it is a really, it is a really great way of That's understanding how. That's my potential how. is editing. Yes. Okay. So you're not going to go through the whole transformation experience. We're just going to do a very simple one. Because my guess is you get a lot of people who say to you, Well, what do you do? It's like it that's usually the first question everybody gets. So before you you
1: start, the best cocktail party trick I ever learned was to never ask someone what they do, ask them what their story is.
0: Yes, but you're still talking about the past you and not the future you. Because Mm -hmm. And so let's put some, some guardrails around this is okay. you we are post pandemic and we, we go out networking as people of the working economy because we want to do future shenanigans with people, right? We want to do either a business development deal or a collaboration, or we want to see if we can solve your problems through selling you some stuff, or you need to find talent. Like it's always about future shenanigans, right? Let's say we were going to CES next year. Yep. It's gonna be it's gonna be real and in person for a change. And I walk up to you and I go, Ooh, Justin, nice to meet you. What do you do? What do you say today?
1: Well, I examine the human condition and find billion dollar markets most people don't see.
0: That's pretty good. <laughs> That's pretty good. Awesome. I kind of like, that's actually really a bolder one that I've heard in a really long time. Because here's, here's the piece for the listeners, is most people's answer, most people wouldn't say that because they'd be like, oh my God, I can't believe he said something so bold and out there. Because most people say, oh, I work at X, I have X title at X company, right?
1: Well, I will say, I will give credit, I, I learned how to do that uh, working with Unju.
0: She is a follower of the potentialism/slash fairy godmother.
2: There you go. Well, okay, in all fairness, I got that from Joanna. So we've come full circle on this, which is awesome. Love it.
1: (laughs) So it's all it's come full circle. Your work, your work has come back to haunt you in this interview.
0: No, this is not haunting. This makes me this makes me very, very happy. Well, because here's here's why I really like that. Is it is bold. Um, So there's enough like, whoa, what? Because when you are introducing yourself, there's two things you want. You want to be uh, unique enough that somebody goes, oh, what is that? I want to know more. Um, But also recognizable enough that people go, I know what that is. My question for you is, is 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 that authentic to you? Do you actually say that out loud to people? Or was that just because that's what I asked you to say?
1: Uh, in some form or another. Yes.
0: Okay. Okay. Awesome. Yeah. Well then continue, continue to being you now, then here's my other question is what, cause I'm not actually going to do a makeover on that one, but I want you to see kind of the different way of doing it. Sure. Like, what would you like people to remember after they've met you?
1: Um, that I can make them a lot of money if they trust me.
0: Talk to me about what was the introduction, examine, how did you say it?
1: Examine the human condition and to uncover billion-dollar markets most companies can't see.
0: Okay, here's my question. Why can't they see it?
1: Usually because they're so focused on satisfying or forwarding the market that they have right now. And it usually takes risk to find and execute against those new markets. It's a classic innovator's dilemma problem for most companies.
0: Okay. Focus on the right now. And what was the second one? I'm writing notes furiously.
1: Uh, It's risk. Most companies are risk averse.
0: Yep. And why are you uniquely qualified? Why is it you are able to see it other than clearly risk mitigation? You're all like, go for it.
1: Boy, I have a weird blend of experiences and I kind of understand that space between someone's perception and another person's action. It comes from being an artist. It comes from being also highly analytical. You know, understanding where that space is in between people and manipulating that space to have them see more potential for themselves.
2: Wow, that is so interesting. I mean, I've worked with Justin for... Better part of two decades. We've studied together. We've worked together on a variety of innovation efforts. And while everything he just said is totally true, that's not the way I would have described him. (laughs) How would you say it? Well, I would have described him as somebody who, again, consistent with what he said, but I would have taken the other side of it and described him as someone who just can rapidly iterate on a hypothesis by finding disconfirming evidence in the oddest spaces. So he can kind of just sort of Do this wide canvas and then circle in on the region where the real opportunities lie quickly. And I think that kind of iterative process allows us to frankly not only improve the opportunity, but get to the right answers as swiftly as possible.
0: Justin, how do you feel about what Andrew just said?
1: I think that's true. I've been called the Pentagon before. Whatever the solution appears to be, you need to sit and figure out every way it could go south on you and address it, right? And sometimes it means throwing out the solution, sometimes it means just rebuilding it, or uh, you know, I've been going through a process with uh, my older daughter, uh, and she's been crafting all these essays to try get into uh, college, which is brutal. Uh, I'm 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 glad I'm the age I am and not her age. But what I try to tell her in this process is, you know, go ahead and write this essay, but don't be afraid to come back to it later and start over. I mean, the creative process is destruction. Creativity is destruction. You are either you know, dismantling an idea to rebuild something better out of it. So, um, yeah, that's just kind of how I am.
0: So, okay. I
1: I will say, you you know what I did when I was eight years old? I can tell you that now. Yeah. I took things apart. And rebuilt them. Not always. (laughs) I, I always wanted to rebuild them, but, um, whether I could rebuild it wouldn't stop me from trying to figure out what made it go.
0: See, look, I just, I sit here and I go that there's a whole story there. Um, the the question, so I'm just gonna go through this because this has been an unusual experience of the Joanna experience, <laughs> is I sit here and I go, one, Anju just proved the perception of you was not unaligned with who you are, but I'm hoping you got value about what she said out loud about you.
1: Yeah, I didn't disagree with it either. It's not necessarily right. what I would lead And with, I
0: think but... yeah, well, so this is <laughs> Well, but this is this is where And it it so depends, you know, my belief is ambition is unique as a fingerprint and how I would have this conversation, for example, with your daughter versus how I'm going to have this conversation with you is spectacularly different based on what are your ambitions and what is it you're trying to teach somebody. Because um, you need to be, my entire piece around this is you need to be intentful about it. There's a lot of things you could say. And you don't want to say all the things because if you say all the things, people get are like, "Well, I can't remember any of it." Yeah. Um, So I sit here and say, like you've said in your initial introduction, examine the human condition for the next billion dollar idea. The billion dollar idea thing is the this is your why, for lack of a better term. And you're known for examining the human condition. And if if that's what you want to be known as, the guy who examines the human condition. All good. Like you're, I I would not transform how you're talking about yourself. A different version of that is, and thinking about again, the how do you sell the idea? Um, And maybe not in the question, what do you do? But maybe after this, is you say, look, in today's marketplace, companies often can't see what their next big idea is because they're either focusing on the right now or they're in the space of mitigating risk. And they need other eyes to help them see an opportunity. And I do that through identifying disconforming evidence. And I do it at speed because for my entire life, I've taken things apart to figure out how it works. And it's in taking it apart that you can identify its potential. And it's in the potential that a billion dollar idea arrives.
1: Sold. And the best news is I have, I have that recorded. Yes. But enough about me, let's go back to talking about you. As you were talking about your past, I mean, a couple of, I got a kind of an intertwined question that deals a little bit with your past, but really more uh, on future opportunities. So, you know, you worked at these startups like Cars.com, Ticketmaster, and Pandora, you know, back in the day. What do you think really made for successful talent management in that kind of high growth, highly creative company? And then ultimately... I'm just curious from your perspective, how they could have done it better, right? So how could they better enable potentialism?
2: Mm.
0: Well, so I got, and again, this comes back to you don't know what you don't know until you know. I now, looking back at it, I got a crash course in running a company using potentialism on my very first startup, which was not my very first job, but was my very first startup, which was City Search back in like 1995. And just for the for the listeners to kind of date how not technical the world was. I was in Austin, Texas. Average internet speed there was 14.4. Um, <laughs> and I think Austin had the highest internet penetration in the country at 30% of the population having inter- internet connectivity. Um, and it was all dial-up and all of that sort of stuff. And I got recruited to come join City Search as a salesperson, having been in the business of selling luxury swimwear as a career pivot right there, what I learned very, very quickly there is that because it was this internet thing and we were figuring out things out that literally the most common conversation that was had there, a statement that was said was, why don't you take a stab at that? And what we all figured out was, why don't you take a stab at that really translated to, I have absolutely no idea myself. And I would really love it if you could go figure that out because we hired you because we trust that you are bright and you are resourceful and you will ask questions and you will think about the strategy and the bigger picture and all the things. And do come to me and chat with me about it. But I am probably not going to have the right answer. And I'm going to look to you to say, this is what I think the right answer is.
2: So inherent in that, though, you're assuming... well maybe assuming, but for someone to enable others to take chances in an organization, for a leader to enable others that maybe aren't even in their org, they have to be a chance taker too.
0: Absolutely. And
2: and this is the whole, like, it's been conditioned out of so many people. Or they're just not willing to take the risk because they do have other priorities in life, right? So so I get that there's a variety of motivating factors around this, but I look at a lot of people that I know could do so many different things you know, within a variety of companies, and no one's going to sponsor them because that's not the culture of that company.
0: Well, so back to Justin's question, he was asking, "How do you do?" Well, you were asking at the beginning, "How do you how do you manifest potentialism?" I think yep. City Search absolutely did that. They just didn't have a word for it. And if you look at X City Search, if, well, so there were two characters that went through the city search halls. And there was a lot of people who were hired. There were people who were like, Oh, this whole coloring outside the lines thing, this whole, I'll take a stab at this is fun and awesome. And I want to do it. Those people thrived and survived the people who were like, I like to know what the guidelines are and what the rules are completely crashed and burned.
2: Yeah, I could see
0: that. They really, it was not a good place for them. So there's that. I also don't want to paint. And I come back to my conversation earlier about ambition and how just because this is the way I'm saying it should be, it should be the way you should say it
2: to be. So what do you think 20 years out or 10 years out, even, what do you think the culture trends or norms in Silicon Valley will be? In Silicon Valley? Yeah. Silicon Valley specifically. Like how do you conceptualize what company culture looks like in the Valley in 10 years? Because I think it looks dramatically different now than it did 15 years ago when I was living here. Before
1: you answer that, Joanna, I'm going to add that it was, uh, I don't think it'll be isolated in the Valley anymore. I mean, what you, the kind of companies you're talking about, there's they're going to be everywhere. Oh, well, I totally I can-
2: agree with that. Yes.
0: I think there is a reckoning coming for the whole idea of a company and its employees in itself because, and here's why, the transaction between employee and employer, the fact that you as an employee rent a subscription to your, of your future time to a company has always existed. I mean this is that this is the product that we that, that employees sell to their company and companies buy. Now, is there a product that the companies are selling back to their employees? Absolutely yes, but I don't want to go down there. I want to talk about this reckoning because in selling you a subscription to the product, there has been this contract of trust and security and safety, and that you will continue to buy the subscription from the employee. The pandemic, first of all, knocked everybody out of their shoes because they were like, oh my God, and just trying to survive. I would say 2021, the overwhelming conversation I am having with employees now is, hold on a second. It's like their heads have come up off their desks and they're like, enough already with this craziness. And wait a second, what is the transaction? And so they are having real conversations about, you know, what is the promise of potential from their employees? And and then what do they want? With all of the... Technology that is out there allowing anybody today, like so much, so 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 much easier for you to say, "Hey, I'm going to put my shingle out," and be, you know, Anju.com or Justin.com or Joanna.com. Um, it's actually joannablore.com but that's neither here nor there. The the ease in doing that because of the technology that exists between really simple technology. It's very easy for employees to say, "Well, if you want to." if you want to rent my future brain, well, I still want to be the owner of that. And you sit here and say the opportunity to work from everywhere, the opportunity to have different currencies with cryptocurrency and all those sorts of things, I think it's only going to accelerate what was known as the gig economy, I think is actually going to move far more into the white collar worker. There's already Early signs of this happening, like I was talking to a recruiter the other day who said, "Oh, I now only recruit for fractional cFOs and I was like what what on earth is a fractional cfo
2: yeah i've known I've known a few I've known a few and I've hired a few, and there's some great firms out there, and i I always wish they had had more fractional. You know, frankly, leadership roles, because that might solve, first of all, the underemployment problem of women um, in general or underemployment in general. But um, yeah, there should be a lot more fractional roles because sometimes you just don't need a full, you know, a full, fully baked person in a fully baked full time role. What you want is really strategic, really almost surgically placed expertise That's like a steroid to the organization. And you do not need that person to be a steroid 100% of the time. You probably probably go Barry Bonds.
0: Like, I think about, and let's use a CFO as an example. Like, I think about all of the CFOs that I've worked with. And there's one kind of CFO that maybe you need if you're preparing to go public. Or there's a different kind of CFO if you're driving a lot of mergers and acquisitions. Or there's a different kind of CFO if you're in that super early stage and you're trying to build stuff up. And You know, I threw a question out on Twitter the other day because I said I was done with quit, fired and laid off as descriptors for somebody to leave a company. I was like, like, because those are awful, awful words with so much negative connotation. And I said, surely there's another way of talking about when the inevitable breakup is going to happen because we date jobs, we don't marry them. And then I sit here and I go, well, can't we all be polyamorous and like date lots of jobs at the same time? And so I come back to the original <laughs> question and I stay here and I say, you know, I think the the modern company is going to need to refigure the value proposition with the individuals that work there and i think there's going to be extremes where there is there will be companies with no employees what does that look like um i think there will probably be hybrid and i think the the ones that will be left behind are the ones who are like oh it's all about staffing now is there a mountain of legislation that would need to shift to go along with that Absolutely, and I think we've started to see some of the the early signals with what's happened with Uber and some of the the gig working economy as exists today. But I sit here and I say, as an individual, you want to talk about someone who's empowered, who knows how to negotiate the salary, who who understands all of those sorts of things. If you are owning the product of you, if you have real clarity around that, you are already coming in with the confidence you need. To do the work that matters, and then then it's just finding out do they have the curiosity to collaborate? And I think that is gonna be more and more prevalent. Yeah, and I, I think Justin's right. I think it's gonna be more prevalent everywhere, not just in Silicon Valley.
1: Speaking of Silicon Valley culture, there's nothing the valley likes better than a good mashup. I think it's time to play the game. <laughs> Okay, so are you ready, Joanna?
0: I am terrified, but I am gay.
1: All right. All right. So let's do some some corporate mashups. Let's start with a Silicon Valley favorite, right? Herman Miller, the creators of the Aeron chair. Everyone in Silicon Valley, it's a cliche, right? Has the Aeron chair. So what would it be like if Herman Miller launched a fashion brand? What kind of clothes would they design?
0: I immediately see some sort of rubber suit thing going on
1: do tell. This is getting way racier than I expected. Please continue.
0: I just, I feel like, yes, it, it it is indestructible in nature. Yeah. It's kind of like the last suit you ever need.
1: And one size fits 80% of the population.
0: No, it would have to be absolutely bespoke. There's something uh, as like, cause you think about all of the little lobby things. It's, it's a, uh, neoprene slash rubber suiting. That is literally the last suit you will ever need to
1: buy
2: for women too. Do you mean like a gimp suit? (laughs) I mean, did we really go there?
1: (laughs) All right. Uh, so we're going to do something adjacent to your, to your past. Sorry. We're talking about pasts again. Um, let's take Spotify in the home furnishings business. Go.
0: I actually think you would be able to, so I'm talking about touch furniture that would change fabrication based on What you're doing. So imagine like imagine a sofa that could be like if your mom and dad are coming over, it's nice, some conservative navy blue or something else. And then you're you're having a let's go back to the 70s and have a 70s cocktail party. You can actually press a button on your sofa and it becomes this like burnt orange velour situation.
1: If I'm using the free version, does it? come plastered with ads every two and a half minutes or something?
2: Absolutely. <laughs> uh, so you have to subscribe to get the ad-free yeah. living room experience.
1: It just disappears.
2: Yeah. Okay, wait, what about the ceiling? Ceiling. Throw some ads up there too.
0: Well, no, that's the carpet. The carpet on the floor would be the ad. Oh, well, that's some serious real estate. Like, actually, that's a genius idea. That's some serious real estate on the floor. You could actually, you could do, um, it's like, that would be, and now I'm going to take your game and like throw it on its head. That Do would it. be like WeWork slash Airbnb meets furniture driven by the ad model. Like you literally can borrow furniture for your home for 40 minutes of the hour. Looks like regular furniture and then evolves into an ad. Let's get real. Our refrigerators and our Nest and our TVs are already doing that. So why not let the carpet in your... Like, Imagine, oh my God, like imagine how much Johnson & Johnson would pay to be able to splay their products under your feet when you came out of the shower.
2: If I came out of the shower and had that experience, I personally might need a centrally located panic room. Um, But in the world of holodecks, I can totally see how this is inevitable. I mean, you can barely watch a movie or play a game these days without product placement. So I guess so also goes the way of the house.
0: I think this is a genius idea and somebody should run with
1: it. It's genius for Johnson & Johnson, probably miserable for the people who have the carpet. All right. So let's talk about Crayola. And if they started an executive search firm, what would that look like?
0: Crayola and an executive search firm. Well, first of all, I would run this company. Let me just put this out. And this is why (laughs) I would totally run this company because I come back to my argument about how I think the resume is dumb. Actually, no, that's not fair. The resume is a tool in your toolkit, but all it is these days is a bunch of keywords. Average hiring manager looks at it for eight seconds, which I then sit here and say, okay, if it is dumb, what do we need? And I take a page out of every other product that you search for and I go, we need visuals and graphics. Cinderella's shoe was not an accident. Let me talk about that. When the bong, bong, bong happened at midnight, all of her magic stuff vanished with the exception of the shoe, which is why I think the fairy godmother had something to do with it. And the shoe had two jobs. One, when the prince picked it up and sauntered back into the palace, he went, oh, she was thinking awesome. Because here's the thing, he went back into the palace and there were a bazillion other candidates for the job and the shoe reminded him that Cinderella was particularly lovely and fantastic and he wanted her and not all of these other people. So it was a reminder tool. doesn't say much about the prince's character that he needed that, but this is the thing. And (laughs) it made it easy for the prince to find her the next day. So I sit here and say the executive search Crayola mashup company is one that actually starts to, not put a graphical representation of somebody's past together but actually visual and graphical representations of all three things that are needed for talent's potential to be recognized and it is it is their past what have they done what are their accomplishments it's also who they are and what they're all about so as a human who are you getting who is that authentic person and then also the potential. So, it, are there visuals that can bridge the same way Steve Jobs bridged the audience of people eventually from seeing three different products to one? Um, the potential in future candidates.
2: So, Joanna, if you do lead this company, you could leverage the Crayola culture component to redesign org charts, you know, get rid of those solid black line boxes, maybe put in a little imagination, color, and texture, whole new format or no format. This business has promise. Right on.
1: Well, I'm sure there was a billion dollar business in there somewhere. So I guess we should get back to business now. Anju, I know you had another question for Joanna.
2: So Joanna, what do you think is one of the best traits you've observed in uh, in leaders that cultivate like truly not high performing, truly phenomenal, um, phenomenally amazing teams, like people that do things that nobody else would ever dare to do? Wouldn't even dare to say out loud. Those kinds of teams.
0: Well, so I don't think I've ever put language around this, but I'm going to go to what is it I loved about a couple of particular leaders that just seem to make things happen. One of the people I worked with who would probably be horrified if I said this out loud was such a teacher. And and it wasn't they would sit down and teach you the thing. But they would teach you how to think about the problem that you were trying to solve or would share with you an insight that was rarely this, well, this is the right way to do it um, or this is the wrong way to do it. It was much more always a conversation about, well, in a model that looks similar to this, this is what might happen. And here's some of the questions you should be asking. Um, It was almost like getting an MBA. Or or a master story of any sort of type, hanging out with them, um, which I thought was really helpful because you had to think through everything.
2: Were they teaching you how something worked, or were they teaching you how they thought about the thing, or how they thought about how the thing worked? How they
0: thought about the thing.
2: Okay, got it.
0: All of it. They'd teach you. Not only did they teach you how they thought about it, but then they would they'd give you the language to think about it, and then they'd ask that ask really pointed questions, you know, as they, instead of taking, and I see this so often with leaders is they tend to put their opinion on the answer as opposed to just letting the other person come up with the opinion. This is to my, in my opinion, that's, listen to me, I just said opinion again, that's true impairment. And it's very difficult not to layer your own opinion on something, especially when you have an inkling about what the answer should be.
1: all right, I, I have a title for your next TED Talk then. You're going to talk about you're you're going to talk about metacognitive Socratic management.
0: <laughs> I like Do it. Do I have to wait for a TED Talk?
1: No, Thank it's you. all yours. Take it.
2: Do it with sequence. Absolutely. Well, it
0: anybody yes. who says metacognitive Socratic... See, I can't even say it. That thing. You have to
1: practice. I'll
0: get better at <laughs> saying it. It's going to have to ba- balance out the... Kind of the douchebaggery of saying it that way with sequins, just to kind of—I mean, come on! There's not a person on it's, the planet. It's it is wonderful. beautiful. Country. Like Justin, we are clearly going to have to be besties here because the fact that you gave that to me is just magic. But like,
1: well, I I can't wear sequins, so I would just be left no. In well, but so, so
0: for me, it would be douche because it's it's authentic to you. It's so inauthentic for me to say something like that because. I make up stuff. I, I think, think it's beautiful.
1: I think you just said I'm an authentic <laughs> douchebag. But...
2: <laughs> it's oh, a good works. thing we did your transformation <laughs> already. No. It's good.
0: If that works for you, then that's fine. Uh, no, I didn't say that. But it just doesn't, <laughs> yeah. People would laugh. Like people, it, it. see, I couldn't even say the sentence out loud. It's how it doesn't fit. Which actually brings me to my second thing of leadership. Like, I do think that... Like everybody yaps on about building culture in companies. In my head, what that is, is actually language. And I know that I got taught. Yeah, I, yeah, I got taught really early on, which I'm really grateful I learned this lesson, that when you start noticing inside baseball language and not keeping people out, keeping it, people in, but that the, the beautiful shorthand that happens within teams, then you know things are really trucking. And so, yep. yeah, which is why I would never say a sentence like that because I make up words all the time. Like the word potentialist isn't actually a word, although I call myself that. I would also like to throw out that the word mentee is also not a word. It's terrible. Um, but yeah, just make up words. And I, so I look for leaders who like to create almost the language, because that in itself is fundamentally human.
2: So it's interesting that you say that because one of the things that I enjoy the most about conversations with Justin is, what's the term portmanteau, you know, where you fuse two different like celebrities or two different words together? It's it's portmanteau, right?
1: It's portmanteau, I guess. Portmanteau.
2: Okay. I got to work on my, it's got to be my French. All right. I'll work on that. Um, But you do that with ideas a lot. Like, and I find that really fascinating because it's not easy for people to take two completely disconnected things and make them make sense together.
0: Me or Justin or both of us?
2: Justin does this really well. But Joanna, you would really appreciate it because it sort of, it's very similar to what you were just talking about. So the two of you need to definitely get together at some point and have you know, this unwieldy conversation or create a joint TED talk or do something because I'm sure I'll be fascinated sitting in the audience. We should definitely make that happen. Well, this is fun. Um, Justin, did we miss anything?
1: Uh, I don't think so. I don't think so. I, Joanna, it's, it's a pleasure uh, again.
2: It was fun <laughs> to do it two times. Yes, it was. Thank you for being patient while we worked through all of that. Um, yeah, it's, it's been wonderful to get you two together. We need to do this like post-pandemic and some, you know, yes, real physical reality. Sure. Manifest some serendipity.
1: Agreed. Thanks for listening to Transpose. If you like this podcast, please leave us a review and subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, or your podcast platform of choice. Until next time, don't forget to switch it up a little.